So good morning. So let's all open in prayer, and we're going to spend a little bit of a few minutes here in the Word. Uh, it won't be super long today, I hope. <laughs> um, but let's pray. And also, I want to take some, some time. If you haven't heard, there's uh, terrorist attacks this morning in Sri Lanka. Over 200 Christians were, are so far have been killed by, by bombings. And um, some of us were talking about it this morning. I thought it'd be great as a church family if we prayed for, um, for that. What an awful, awful way for some, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ to begin Easter Sunday. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are living, that you're powerful, that your love knows no boundaries. And our hearts ache, God, this morning for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka who have died gathering to worship you. And God, we pray for the families. We pray for those congregations, those churches. We pray that you would just put a stop to this evil, God, and that you would just bring something good and beautiful out of this horrible tragedy, God. Um, I just pray for those hearts right now that you would comfort them, God, that they would not be discouraged from the good news of your resurrection life, God, that they would not be discouraged even though evil wants to press all around us in this world, God, that they would just feel your comfort today. They would feel your presence. We ask for your presence to be here with us, Jesus, as we open your word and just talk about what you've done. I just pray that you'd be present here with us. Help us to enter into this space, God, that Jane helped us to see, which was the witness to the resurrection, God, and what that means for us, for each of us in this room. We love you, God, and we just ask that you would be with us always, God, as you promised. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Luke 24. If you don't, grab your phone or just follow along. And today, we're going to be talking about um, just looking at this, this thing that Jane just helped us enter in, this space where these women were, were going to the tomb. And there's a really a specific sentence, a couple of sentences that the angels spoke to them that I want to just call our, our attention to. And because I'm nerdy and love grammar and all nerdy stuff, uh, we're going to be just looking at the resurrection story through three pieces of punctuation, a question mark, a period, and an exclamation point. And that's, that's it. There's three statements that the angel says to the women that go to the tomb that I really was struck by as I read the account, and we're going we're gonna to learn. So I'm going to read this real quick, and we'll hone in on, on a, a couple of details here. Uh, Luke 24, verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day arise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who had told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So the first thing I want to call our attention to is this question. So in our punctuation for Easter, the first is a question mark. 
which is why do you seek the living among the dead? That question really, as I was reading this passage, just kept jumping out at me. And there was something about it I couldn't really figure it out at first that was just seemed really odd. Um, and I kept kind of just uh, chewing on it for a couple weeks. And what's interesting about this question to me um, is that as we learn from the account, the women were headed to the tomb with burial spices to anoint Jesus. They were looking for a dead man. They were looking, expecting Jesus to be dead. They were going particularly to enter into this thing called lament and grief and sorrow. And, be, you know, before we, you start thinking, oh, man, we're going to slam these, these, these are women because they didn't get it. Nobody got it. And I think Luke's point throughout the gospel, if you, especially if you read um, or if you watch the Bible Project videos through the, the book of Luke, they paint this really beautiful picture of the whole theme of Luke, which is the upside-down kingdom. And really, this paradox starts to come because these women are, are there, right? They're looking for a dead man. Everyone is expecting him to be dead. They, they're entering into this place of sorrow. But I think what's beautiful about this, first of all, is that the women were the only ones who were really actually fully enter, entering this place of grief and sorrow. They were the only ones that were actually willing to just enter into uh, lament in a full way by going to the tomb. Everyone else had scattered, was afraid, or was just despair. If you read some of the other accounts about Peter, after he denied Jesus three times, he went out and wept bitterly. That phrase in the Greek implies just this deep despair, darkness. I mean, there was not hope in, in some of Peter's grief. He was just, he was bewildered. But these women, they were there. They had such a love for Jesus that they were there. But it's interesting because the angel goes, why do you seek the living among the dead? And I, that, that phrase, seek the living, stood out to me because they weren't seeking the living. They were actually seeking to embalm his dead body. But I believe the angel, by asking this question, was actually uncovering something. And you, you saw this in Jane's monologue perfectly when she talked about this life that they, were, that they had experienced that they were still clinging to, right? And I think that's what the angels are uncovering here, which is seeking the living. Even though they were there to anoint his dead body, they were actually underneath all of that pain, underneath all of that experience and the sorrow, there was actually something there that their hearts really longed for. And so what I wanted to do as I was thinking of this, this is something, a question that for each of us to answer today, no matter where we're at, whether you've walked with the Lord for many years or whether you've never really stepped into that resurrection life with Jesus, which is what are you seeking? What is underneath the things that are going on in your life? So for some of us, life has been a disappointment, right? We expected life to go a certain way as children. Maybe we had a, a great childhood, but as you grow up, you maybe experienced just pain and, and, and things in life didn't work out the way you thought they were. You had a script for your life. You thought things were going to go a certain way. And disappointment entered at various times, right? There's pain, there's sadness, there's, there's regret. There's, I thought true love was going to last forever. And then divorce. I thought true love was going to last forever. And my parents abused me or my parents are divorced or fill in the blank with any of our stories, right? There's, there's things as children, I think we come into the world with this desire and hunger for life. If you look at little kids, they are just, they don't, there's no filter for them, right? They're just there longing for a fullness of life and they're going to find it even if in the, in the 
whatever creative way that, that they can. And that's instinctive for, for children. But I think for a lot of us who have experienced life, or in some of you, your childhood wasn't, wasn't great. And those dreams that you had as a little girl or as a little boy were crushed. You were expecting things to go a certain way and they didn't. But I think each one of us really deep down beneath all the pain, beneath all of the experiences in life, we're actually wanting something more. And I think this can be evidence. I was actually, as I was reading this week, reading this passage, I was thinking about this question that every human is on the search for life. There's a, a, a sermon by C.S. Lewis in this little book, The Weight of Glory, which is just a collection of his sermons and, and talks. And in this sermon, The Weight of Glory, I've, I've come back to it over and over throughout my Christian life. And if you haven't had a chance, pick it up or get the Kindle book or whatever. It's powerful. And in it, he outlines this, this thing that really, in life experiences, we all experience longing. We all experience beauty through different things, right? So sometimes for some of us, we have great nostalgia, this deep sense of like certain music, right? Like there's certain music that we, songs that we, we go, oh, and we had this experience happen. We listened to that song for the first time or we watched a movie or we read a book or there was some kind of transcendence that happened in an experience in life that, has, that was formative for us and we can come back to that and look back on that. But it's really interesting. I don't know if you guys have found this to be true. Have you ever gone back to some of those, those things? Like maybe it was a movie or maybe it was a song that just shaped your imagination as a child and as a kid and you grew up and like, I just love it. And then you go back and listen to it again and it's like, what was, like that's not that great, right? It's, it, it doesn't feel the same. Like for me, this is a silly example, but there's this movie that I grew up, and I just had this wild uh, imagination. I love stories, and I love storytelling, and right. And this movie that shaped my childhood in a large way was this silly Disney movie, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I don't know if you guys have seen it, right? It's, and I just remember I was telling my wife we got married; she had never seen it, and I'm like, "Oh, we got to see this movie." Like this, uh, this. I just had all these fond nostalgia for this thing, right? And it was, you know, it was like I just had this. This, I could picture myself as a kid watching it and all the feelings that I got and all the imagination and all the stuff. And so Colsey and I were like, okay, let's, let's watch it. And I, and I forced her to watch it because she wasn't really into it, but she's like, okay, I'll watch it. We watched it, and, and not, it wasn't just me, um, her, but it was me. Like, I was incredibly disappointed. I was like, <laughs> I remember as a kid, this was great, you know? And then I watch it again, and I'm like, this was okay, but, you know, it wasn't the same. And what C.S. Lewis talks about is he says the... The beauty came through that, like the experience in life is a vessel, right? It's just a vessel. And beauty comes through that at that moment, at a moment in time that we can't control. It just happens, right? And it continues to happen. There's certain events that happen in our lives where we have a moment where there's transcendent beauty. Maybe it's in the embrace of your, of your spouse, of a loved one. You experience something transcend, transcendent. Or it's in the moment with a child where you just see the beauty of God in, in, a, in a, such a clear way, right? And then that moment's gone. And sometimes we try to go back to it and you try to relive it, but you can't. It's like you go back and you realize that that moment at that time, the experience wasn't the glory, right? It was just a vessel that the glory came through and then it went. And so memory has a, a way of shaping our imagination in a way that it's not like lying to ourselves, but if we try to go back to the original experience, it's, it's, we find a disappointment there. And I believe that if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves, 
like these women, we would go down beneath all of the layers of hurt. And, and I think even sometimes we view sin as a, um, we almost focus on the behavior of the sin. Like we look at people that are addicted to drugs or sex or alcohol or all the things that we can medicate our lives with or try to cover up that hurt inside. And sometimes we, we almost view the action of those people. Oh, that's, I can't believe they're doing that. That's shameful. But really, honestly, they're just trying to find something transcendent in those experiences, right? Because they've attached, they've, they've realized there was something beautiful in those experiences. God created every experience, whether it was sex, whether it was alcohol, whether it's God created wine to gladden men's heart. God created food for our enjoyment. God created the beauty of nature and art and he creativity and all those things, right? That we could actually experience something from him. But sometimes as humans, we're broken because we attach our worth to the experience not to the person who the experience came from, which was God. And God is the source of life. And all of us is longing for that fullness of life. But life has been a disappointment. The experiences of life is a disappointment. The things that we thought were going to happen or that our family was going to look like or that our job was going to look like. Or we have this vision of like, man, if I could just get to this level of my career, then it's going to be great. Or if I just had this much money, everything's going to be great. But it's not. Because you get there, and then it's like, okay, I have more money. But it doesn't fix that hole in our heart, right? And I think that's what C.S. Lewis was getting at, which was there is something deeper underneath of that that any human being can look at. When we want to run or cover up that hurt, we do so because we're seeking, actually we're seeking life. The people that are running headlong into sin are actually not people that should be viewed at as as horrible people, they're just like all of us. They're trying to find life, but they're not looking for it in the right place. And interestingly, in this passage, these women are seeking a dead man. And the angel's like, why are you seeking the living among the dead? The angel knew their desire of their heart was for the life of Jesus that they had tasted for so many years. They were hurt and they were broken, but they were there. And the angel just uncovers this, this desire underneath, which leads us to the second place. So all this culminates in the second one, which uh, the next slide will detail for us, which is the period. Um, it's our second punctuation. He is not here. In your Bibles, it's, I mean, it's technically a comma there, but uh, I don't, it's still a, a complete clause, a complete sentence. He is not here. And really, that culminates this journey, right? The search that we have for, for life. And the, the women were there. The longing of their heart was to experience Jesus' life again. But he was dead, and they were sorrowful. And then the angel says, he is not here. And you can almost hear their heart sink at that point, right? Okay, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. Whoa, like... This is not the experience that's going to fill you up. This is not the thing that you're looking for. These are not the droids you're looking for. I can't get that out of my head. I know it's um, <laughs> Star Wars, man. It's, it's really, I, like, this is not, this is not it. You're in a tomb. Tombs are for dead people. I think that's the way uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible renders it. Tombs are for dead people. Why are you guys here? He's not here. 
And it made me think of, um, if you, earlier in Luke, in, in his last week, he actually told this parable to the Pharisees, the parable of the two sons. One was the prodigal, the other was the older brother. The older brother was the Pharisee, who always had access to God, always were close, but they never entered into the fullness. And then the younger son is really the one that we see in this picture of searching, right? He has everything, but he is unsatisfied with his father. He goes, he basically does the most offensive thing you could ever imagine in Jewish culture, which is to go, I don't want you, dad, I want your stuff. And the inheritance was always given when a parent passed away, and it still kind of is today, usually. Um, um, but there's nothing more ugly, right, than when family fights after a parent dies and, and the kids are squabbling over who gets all the money. I mean, that's one of the most petty, sad things that we see in a human experience, right? And, and here, the older son asks his dad what he's still alive. Like, hey, dad, give me, all your, give me my inheritance right now. And it's basically was like cutting off a relationship with his father. Like, I don't want any relationship with you. Just give me your money and let me go. And imagine how heartbroken the father was. But he goes, okay, go. And then the son takes the money and he goes and he tries to fill his life with every experience that he can. He finds prostitutes. He finds alcohol and partying. And he tries filling his life with that. And he spends all of his inheritance. And then he ends up with nothing. He's destitute in a pigsty, actually longing to eat the food that the, that the um, pigs are eating, and he can't. He doesn't have enough money. I mean, he's literally at this destitute state. And then he has the moment where he just kind of comes to himself, and he's like, what am I doing? Like, my father's house, my servants in my father's house live better than, than I could ever live in this state. And I think that's the moment in that story that we come to here. He is not here. I think the, the, the younger son, the prodigal, realizes, oh, <laughs> like my life, it's not here. This is not it. I thought that if I just got enough money and I got, and I got all the money and I spent it all and I tried every experience, you could read the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon does the same thing. He had 300 concubines, 700 wives. He, he knew how to live and he, he wrote books. He did science. He, he partied. He had the best food in the world. I mean, he, he did everything. He experienced every human experience to the fullest and realized, you know what? It's not here. This is not it. Life is not just a bunch of experiences and then we die. There's something deeper because even the good things that we feel when we do those experiences, the happiness that we feel for a moment when we do find a relationship or we do find that release that some of those things offer, that drugs or the alcohol or even shopping or even nowadays, guys, it's not even, sadly, you know, it's not even those things as much as it is, we can just be distracted by our phones. We can have an endless feed on our phones of entertainment, of things to just numb us enough to get us through the painful day or to distract us just enough so that we stop that search for a life. And if we stop the search, we will never get beneath, I will never get to the thing that we actually need, the thing we were made for. And so at this point, like the son, like the prodigal, we have a choice to make. Are we going to continue the search? Are we going to actually let that desire grow? And C.S. Lewis says in this book, he says, um, we, uh, I'll, I'll read it. 
He says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Lewis's point is our desires, when we, when we don't get to the source, is actually our desires are too weak. We were made for more, but we are so satisfied easily with so many less things. And nowadays, technology has made it so that we can be satisfied 24-7 from waking to sleep with inane things, things that are not necessarily bad. I mean, Instagram's cool and all, but like, and there's some cool stuff on there, but that's not going to offer us the fullness of life. That, that dopamine hit for that one second is not going to get us where we need to go, where God really made us for. So we either abandon the search and give in to despair we just give up on life, which we see people do tragically, or we actually press that desire deeper and pursue what we were made for. And that leads us to the final, the final punctuation, which is an exclamation point. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. I mean, imagine this news. I mean, Jane, I, I couldn't explain it any better than Jane's monologue captured it with passion and with zeal, right? Like, he has risen. Like, he's alive. And this is it. This is what we were made for. We were made for Jesus' life. The end of our search is the beginning of eternal life. The end of our search, which is we continually, and, and again, this is not just for people that have never received Jesus. It's for all of us, right? We all can fill our lives with things that are good. Marriage is beautiful. Children are beautiful. Drinking good wine and and eating good food is a beautiful thing. Sex is beautiful and good. God created it. All of the experiences in life, even just enjoying beauty, right? Going to an art museum, going on Instagram, seeing beautiful things, like that is not bad in and of itself. But we were made for eternal life. And if we stop short, we will, we will miss the point of all of those things, which is God created them for us so that we could worship him through those things. So those experiences are just a worship experience. We think of worship a lot as singing in a church or singing a worship song. But worship is all of life, you guys. Every experience that we have in life, parenting your kids in those hard moments, that's worship, right? Are we going to worship God? Are we going to... Are we going to find our life in God so that when our kids are frustrating or our kids are struggling or failing, we're not going to be harsh on them. We're going to have grace for them because we understand my life comes from God. It doesn't come from my kids. My life comes from God. It doesn't come from my spouse. So when my spouse fails me or hurts me like they're ultimately going to do, I'm not losing hope because that my hope isn't in that thing. But that thing is beautiful and it can, it can produce deeper worship. But we have to be willing to, to not abandon our search and actually go deeper. Are we willing to go deeper? Are we willing to actually find out what the fullness of life is? In John 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. At the beginning of John's gospel, we just, we, he flat out says it. In him is life. In Jesus is life. 
And there's an echo of God's life in every human experience. But Jesus is the source. He is the one that life is. And I don't want to, um, if you haven't taken notes, John 17, 3, if you can flip there. But in his high priestly prayer, Jesus begins... And in verse 3 of of 17, he says, and this is eternal life. A lot of times we think eternal life is something that begins when we die or when Jesus comes back. But eternal life has already begun. It begins the moment that we enter into a relationship with Jesus. It says this in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire scripture. It has changed the way I view life because I used to think eternal life was like, great, we, we have our down payment, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to heaven when we die, right? But that's even that is a delayed gratification, which that ultimately is the is the consummation of that relationship, right? It's gonna sin's gonna be stripped away, death is gonna end forever. All of these things are gonna end and we're gonna we are gonna experience his life in a way that we would never have been able to. But Eternal life begins right now. It begins when you follow Jesus, when you walk with him. And it continues for all eternity. And it changed the way I see eternal life. It's not so much a destination as it is a relationship. It's a God who comes and has offered himself to us. He became a man. God could have come as a fully grown man, as a king, sat down in Jerusalem, brought his angels, kicked out all the religious dudes, killed the Romans, set up his kingdom, and just ruled, right? But he didn't. He sent sent such a fragile little baby, this most fragile of human things, into the world. His son, he came as an infant, and he experienced every pain of life. He experienced rejection. He experienced temptation. He experienced being, being overwhelmed with stress, I mean, you think you have a stressful day sometimes. Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the garden. He was wrestling with his humanity and his divinity together. I mean, he experienced every human experience, you guys. And he did it. And he went to the cross willingly. He laid his life down. And it didn't end there. He rose from the grave. And that is the great hope, right? Because just him dying and paying the price for our sins was one thing. But then he's now offering us life, eternal life to enter into that. We couldn't have entered into that if he hadn't have died and rose. And so that's where we end today. We end with this eternal life, this relationship. Eternity is not a destination. It's a relationship. It's knowing him. Eternal life is not just a happy place that we're going to go and all our loved ones are going to be there because some of our loved ones may not be there if they don't love and trust Jesus. But that's not what it's about anyway. It's about his life. It's about a relationship with our king, with our God, with Jesus. And so today, guys, we're going to close out here. Um, if you have preschool kids in a, few, in a minute, once I finish up, you can grab your kids. Grade school kids are going to come in. We're going to worship. My wife and I are going to be over here, and maybe um, some of the elders like Tony and Kathy, if they're available, for prayer. But if any one of you just needs prayer Maybe you've ran away from Jesus. Maybe you've abandoned that search for life and you've just settled for second best or you've settled for, you know what, life's, life's hard. I'm just trying to get through. And I understand that. 
because that's what most of my weeks look like, right? It's just like, woo, we got to the end of the week. And sometimes just surviving a day and getting through a day is a victory. But I believe God wants to say to each one of us, there's more. There's way more. And that life is Jesus Christ. So Peter's going to come up. You guys could come up and we're going to sing some songs. And I want to just take some time and pray right now as we transition. And if you are on that search, and maybe you're struggling along the search. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. I just was thinking last night, I've been walking with Jesus about 19 years now. And it's hard. And honestly, no one's immune from this getting distracted from the source of life because we all do it. We all find our satisfaction in lesser things sometimes. But I believe God's inviting us into something more. And if that's you today, or maybe you've lost sight of it, maybe you're an old saint, but you're still struggling in this battle, just come for prayer. And maybe if this is your first time, or maybe you just want to recommit your life to Jesus today, you feel like you're in a hard space. We're here for prayer. There's no judgment. There's no shame. We all need prayer. And so um, we'd love for you to do that. We also would love to sing. I love, I found this picture I, I love it as a backdrop because it's just this, it's like this dark cave, right? And then this light is just breaking through. And that is what, it, I mean, I just picture it being inside the uh, tomb, right? And the stones roll away and then the lights just flood. And it's just like the invitation is there, right? To just step into the light. Step into the life of Jesus, maybe in a way that you never have because he died for you. He loved you. He rose for you. And he knows everything about your life. He knows every disappointment and pain and life is disappointing and painful I'm not going to pretend like it's not because it is but Jesus offers us something that nothing else in life can which is fullness of life in himself so let's pray Jesus I thank you so much for your love that would never quit would never stop your unbreaking always forever love Jesus the love that you, you gave for us that you died you gave up everything you gave up every earthly comfort you gave up eternal heavenly comfort to be in the form of a human and when we see you someday Jesus we're going to see you with scars in your hand as the lamb who has just been slain your body is forever marked by the scars but your resurrection body reminds us that we have new life too, that even through our scars that we're going to bear with us for all eternity, you turn those somehow into something beautiful, God, and I thank you for that. We ask today, God, that you'd open up our hearts, that you'd help us to really get down beneath all the surface-level stuff that happens in life. Help us get beneath our sin and understand why are we really sinning? Why are we addicted? Why are we struggling so bad? It's because we want something that those experiences can't offer. We want you, Jesus. And so I pray that you'd come for each one of us And be that for us today, God. Show your life in us today. And as we sing, God, help us, help the walls to come down in our hearts and our minds, God. Help us to see you as you really are, glorious and powerful and full of life. We pray that today in Jesus' powerful and beautiful name.